welcome back. Uh, this is War Council. My name is Caleb Dillon with White Metal Games. I'm Phil Corman with Brushwork Minis. And War Council is a hobby-centered hobby podcast for miniature enthusiasts. It is, um, what the hell is today? It is the 13th of April, 2016, and this is episode 26. Today on the show we're going to be speaking with Frontline Gaming, specific, specifically with the owner of Frontline, one of the owners, Reese, Reese Robbins. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reese has a lot of internet, um, um, I don't know if I'd call it. Following? Following, I think yeah. that's a good way to put it. I was going to say fame, but like something like that. But he's very well known in the mm-hmm. community for being Sorry. the organizer, not only of Frontline Gaming, but the, uh, the LVO which is the Las Vegas Open. That's the, kind of their big claim to fame. Um, he's an avid gamer. He plays in GTs all over the place. I think he tours quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like a, when you think of like a race car driver, like the way they go around, they run different <laughs> They have teams. And, I mean, there's yeah. tournament teams yeah. and stuff, so I think he's part of a... Is he on the team? Of, I know there's a Team America, I want to say, that competes internationally. Oh, I don't know. I, there's a lot of teams in America, and I think he's just on one of the American teams. But I, I don't know I don't if they know. try out for that or how that works. But I, there is. A, you do have to have a certain record. So I think part of the frontline gaming runs, since they run their own, the ITC format, yeah. I think that has its own ranking system. And cool. then I think if you fall within that, you can be you know, qualified for certain teams, maybe. I don't nice. Know. Well, um, regardless of how you get in it, um, he's in it. He's a part of that community, and uh, uh, he's agreed to talk with us today about how frontline gaming works, how they got into the tournament organizing scene, and um, what it's like to be a tournament organizer. So you're going to get the behind-the-scenes look at tournaments. Before we jump into that, though, we've got a couple of announcements for our intro. Um, so first up, um, recently we started looking around for local talent to sort of um, help us with some of our overflow projects due to, um, uh, due to our, our many great clients this year. Our business has continued to grow, and we thank you all for that. And mm-hmm. um, certainly, um, as our business grows, we have to continue to find good people to sort of help out with that. We are not a one-man operation. Um, uh, Philip runs his own painting service, Brushwork Manning's. I run my own painting service, White Metal Games. We team up on a lot of projects, so we work together on a lot of things, um, sort of passing projects back and forth as needed. Um, but uh, as the, the service has grown, we've, we found, I found recently that I needed some extra help, too, in addition to me and Philip. Um, for some overflow projects. So reaching out in the community, we found um, lots of people that, that were talented, but some of them were less available than others. Some of them were more available than others. So I want to talk to you about a couple of those guys today. Um, first up, we've got a new guy coming to the team named Dennis Franks. He's a local uh, painter. He's based out of Goldsboro. Uh, he's a full-time nurse, but he's, uh, he's an amazing painter. Even though he's been only painting a couple of years, I was just showing Phillips some mm-hmm. of his freehand work before the show. It's pretty impressive. Pretty for for two years and no formal training. This guy's yeah. he's got the knack. That's interesting um, too that he went with freehand. Yeah, like early on because I'm really just starting to get into that now, and I've been doing it for a lot longer. So. <laughs> and and, I, and your freehand is good. My freehand is atrocious. And uh, <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I just I'm not a pencil and the lines kind of kid. But um, he's just got a real good natural artistic instinct, and it furthered my my notion that either artistic instinct or training are absolutely huge and crucial when you're a painter like even in miniature painting like i think mm-hmm. that you know people that are trained like you classically or, or like like dennis who just has a natural instinct uh it, it just puts you leaps and above 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 the competition definitely um so i'm very excited to have him on board he's going to be helping out with some some projects in the near future the other gentleman who we've recently brought into the fold is a, a guy named valentin malek and i might have mispronounced it a little bit uh, but Valentin was originally based out of St. Petersburg, Russia, uh, and he comes to the U.S. Uh, he's visited many times over the years, and he's currently in Northern Virginia, although we're trying to get him to relocate further this way. Uh, he is just really a great painter. He's yeah. just, there's really no, no two cents about it. Uh, he's currently one of the, the project developers on, um, uh, what is that short film, the Inquisitor film? Lord Inquisitor? Space Marine? No, I think it's Lord Inquisitor. Oh, so he is like a project developer or a project designer for that, for Erasmus Bow. Uh, so that's kind of how he kind of explained what he does to me. And he's just, he's just a really good artist, very talented. He's doing some sample projects for me right now that we're going to have listed up soon. Uh, and he'll be doing some projects remotely in the near future. Um, so even though I looked around locally, I found that some of the better painters were a little bit farther out and they were willing to partner up. And, um, so you can see some more of their work coming in the near future. Um, we also found a couple other local painters to kind of help us out. Jonathan Sturrock at, um, uh, White Lightning uh, Painting Commissions 
Somebody white lightning. Right, yeah. It's, it's like uh, we actually have a battle report coming out. He he talked to me he talked to me into doing a bat rip with him. That's cool. So we're gonna have a battle report uh, next Friday. And uh, I'm actually the client for the Mad Max project that we're gonna talk about a little bit later, he is allowing me to use his army. That's awesome. Yeah, so we're gonna use I was just that. Gonna say, I hope that one of the one of the perks that. of this job is that you get all these new armies coming through the studio. It makes me wish we had done a battle report with the army you just did, the Angels of Vengeance. Yeah. But um, you know, alas. That one's already gone. Uh, so we're going to do a bat rep with the Mad Max army. And um, so Jonathan's been helping out here in the studio. He's just a, a, a funny little guy. So we're going to do a bat rep with him, kind of help him a, a little bit. And then another guy, um, Frankie DeSilvo, he's a local painter. Uh, he's going to be helping out with some social media and some overflow projects in the near future. Um, so lots of new faces, lots of new additions to the team. And... Um, uh, hopefully lots of good stuff coming out of them in the near future. Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, it's a, it's a good time. It's a good time of growth, spring growth, all those sorts of metaphors. <laughs> yes. um, the other thing I wanted to mention is that after we um, advertised the consignment um, service on the last episode, um, one of our, our clients um, sent us some Sisters of Battle models to consign. And this is a really good success story, so I wanted to share it. Um, Sisters of Battle is not really well known uh, as a competitive army, but collectors like them. Um, and they're becoming rarer and rarer, frankly. Like they're just expensive. They as are hell, expensive. So. so he sent me five tanks and about twenty sisters. And after analyzing the market, I listed them in six slots. I put all the sisters together, and I sold all the tanks separately. So I sold the one. It was like a repressor. It was a Forge World Exorcist. It was a Scratch Build Exorcist using some Redeemer parts. There was a Redeemer. So there was a whole bunch of different tanks. There was one Rhino. So just a good mix of tanks. Uh, I listed them at about 11 a.m. on Sunday, and by 2 p.m. they were all gone. Like one wow. client came in and just grabbed them all. He, he, he negotiated the sale of the first one, and then he put in very fair offers on everything else. The client originally was like, I want to sell this stuff quick and cheap. And I was like, well, it takes me the same amount of work to list it, so why don't we list it for a fair price and see what happens? And thank God we did, because... We sold all of that for just under $500 within like a couple hours of it going up. Wow. So the client's take on that is he basically made four times what he wanted to make. He was like, I'd like to make about 60 bucks. He ended up pocketing <laughs> 250 God, yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Uh, and I even gave him $10 for his case. He sent me a case in. I was like, I'll give you 10 bucks for it. He's like, okay. Uh, so a huge success story. So you may not realize this, but you've got a lot of money hiding in your closet, guys. Yeah. Like, and if you don't feel like selling it yourself, send it to us. Email us at info at whitemetalgames.com. Um, we have a very good record, obviously, clearing models. And part of this is that our eBay track record is very good. Mm -hmm. Like, clients trust us. They see our feedback scores, which are 100%. So we can sell it probably better, faster, and, and with more value than you can. So consider all of that when you when you think about selling off your old product. Don't deal with the hassle of it. Send it to us. Let us deal with all that bullshit, and we will get you a good price for it. Uh, okay, so we're going to take a quick break, and when we jump back in, we're going to jump in hard with On the Painting Desk, and we'll be right back after this. Hey, guys, it's Caleb with War Council. Are you a purveyor of stuff? Are you an entrepreneur with something to preneur? Do you sell things related to tabletop gaming, painting, or some other aspect of the miniatures hobby? Would you like to advertise to, like, at least three listeners a show? Then you've come to the right place. War Council has a limited number of sponsorship slots available. Each slot guarantees you a banner ad on the White Metal Games website, and we're at like 300 likes on Facebook right now, so clearly at least 300 people can be bothered to click the like button at some point in time in their lives. For $20 a month, we'll promote you and your products on the show. For $10 more, you can have an entire 30-second commercial, like this one, only, you know, better and more relevant and stuff. Email us at info at for more information, and until you do, put your minis where your mouth is. Hey guys, welcome back. We're going to jump into On the Painting Desk now. Uh, I'm going to let Philip start this one off. I feel like I've, I uh, usurped the introduction, so I'm <laughs> going to let Philip sort of jump in for a second here. So, um, I guess the big project right now is the Stormcast Eternals project. Um, I don't even. I guess I can't really give it a point size. It's massive, though. It's big. I mean, I guess if you had to look at it in old fantasy terms, it'd be probably like a four or five thousand point army. Really? Like it's massive. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's got Star Drake. It's got the Prime. It's got a bunch of regular units and everything. So, um, and this is a pretty 
decent project. I mean, it's yeah. a lot of... Uh, the lowest troop is Electrum. Mm-hmm. And the middle characters are gold, and there's several platinum figures in the yeah. army. So it's it's what I would call a high-end project. Definitely. Um, on top of that, the client also is doing a custom terrain set. Um, so, now I don't play Warhammer Age of Sigmar, but we should definitely learn the rules to do a bad rep with this thing. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's a phenomenal I think project. So. Yeah. Um, and he's from Denmark, so it's a Viking-themed project with... Stormcast Eternals, which are kind of a Viking-themed army. Their armor kind of fits that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they kind of remind me of, like, Thor. Yeah, Asgard. Know, Asgard. Down lightning yeah, thamer, uh, sure. hammers. And <laughs> so uh, so I think this this project has special sentiment to him. So we got the first wave of models in, which was pretty big. Mm-hmm. Where are you at with that right now? You've so only had it for, like, three days. Yeah, I got them on Sunday. Really didn't start till Monday. So it's been basically... Uh, they're almost all built. Uh, there's a lot of magnetizing that I had to do, right. um, and there's still a lot more that needs to be done. So, but um, This was an interesting one because whenever you magnetize for the first time, you learn the, the do's and don'ts of the kits. Mm-hmm. So we learned that liberators are very hard to magnetize because they don't have enough options. You don't have enough yeah. arms. Uh, Drake costs, on the other hand, are not hard to magnetize unless you want every option, at which point you're short a couple <laughs> of spears. So we had to source a couple extra spears per, per, per kit. Um, so kids, just so you know, like you can't do everything in every kit yeah. automatically. Like they're not always built that way, uh, but you can do a lot and you've managed to pull a lot out. Certainly more than you used to. I know the older kits, you had like one option. Right. So this is definitely, it's more doable now, but you definitely have to, have to get some extra bits here. What figure out of the set are you most excited about? Uh, probably the Star Drake. Yeah, for To sure. be honest. Yeah. I mean, it's a platinum level. It's, yeah. I've never done one so this will be a first time working on yeah. it and it's he's in he's on order and he should be here in the next week or two and so we're really excited to see how this project develops we'll be working on it on and off well i won't be working on it shit i'll be doing the terrain uh but phil will be working on it on and off for the next six weeks or so so look for more from that um let's see uh so i just finished up the mad max second army this is the tribute army um, we did a battle. We didn't do a battle report. We're going to do a battle report with it, as I mentioned earlier. We've posted a video on YouTube, and we're starting to post pictures in our Flickr gallery. So um, stay tuned for those. I'll try to post a link there. Kingdom Death continues this massive project. Where I think I'm closing in on the last quarter at this point. I, th- I think so. Yeah. I just assembled eight survivors last night at game. Uh, I did the rawhide survivors and the leather survivors. Um, uh, by the way, the leather survivors cool as shit. Yeah, just really cool, really I cool weapons. Like I just really like them a lot. Um, I'm starting on an Adeptus Mechanicus knight for a different client that's going to be fully magnetized. Uh, I've never painted the Adeptus Mechanicus color scheme before, so this is kind of neat, kind of different. I'm looking forward to that. And um, finally, the two battle wagons came in, so we're doing two wagons. We're doing one. Uh, Doof Wagon 3.0. This is the client that liked the Doof Wagon from the first Mad Max project, and he wants another copy of that. That one's not painted. The second client wants something similar to that, but he wants basically a rock stage that kind of moves around on a battle wagon. So we got some golf rockers. We're going to add those to it. We're going to. I'm going to put a big drummer with like a big kit on top. We're going to have like cat not catwalks. What do you call them? Scaffolds with some grot riggers. It's going to be a blast, um, and that's going to be painted up in a Bad Moons theme. Um, so I'm really looking forward to see where that goes. I feel like it's even gold level. It's like he wanted like sounds pretty. He wanted evolved yeah. yeah. Um, so those are both in the works. On my desk currently, um, I'm trying to wrap up this Brotherhood of Ultramar project. That um, I, it was a bunch of orcs and a bunch of marines. All the orcs are now done. I'm moving on to them next. And um, Helios Guard came back. Uh, the client who did that a few months ago is now adding a Storm Eagle to it. Uh, you were looking at that this yeah. morning. And uh, some more assault marines, too, and, and some tack marines. There's like 20 models with that. But really, to be honest, the thing I'm excited about is the Storm Eagle. Like, that's just, it's a cool kit. It's about the size of a Land Raider, frankly. It's a big kit. It's pretty big. Yeah. It looks maybe even bigger. Yeah. But. So you, you get all of the, you, you it's kind of like they give you the parts for a Storm Raven, and then they give you the body of this new one. So it's a bigger body, but it incorporates some of the parts from the Storm you know, eagle or I don't know, but it's a mess. Uh, but you get a lot of stuff and it's a lot of fun. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, I have like kind of a love hate relationship with Forge World. Like I love the kits, but you have to use super glue or, or resin to put them all mm-hmm. together. So it's like I'm not, you know, you have to get out of your comfort zone a little bit. I'm, I'm, I love plastic glue so much that I have to return to super glue for this. So clamps are a necessity. Clamps, <laughs> pinning sometimes. Yes. Um, so yeah. Uh, well, is there anything else you have on your painting desk right now? 
Um, I'm just working on some personal things. So I am working on my own Mechanicum stuff. Um, nice. I had some some foot soldiers from way back when that I've been painting up. Uh, and then I'm also working on... Are you on, going a traditional route with that? Like traditional reds and rusty? 50, and... So there's one called, I think, Lucius, which is a red, but it has like a black, like a dark green black okay. on the interior and armor. So nice. it's a little different. Cool. Um, but I liked it a lot. And then, um, yeah, so that's that's for them. But for the... And also I work on the Leviathan. So the Leviathan Dreadnought. Uh, for the Space Marines. Which you, you just ordered. That came in really fast. Yeah, it did. I got it within about a little less than two weeks. So I got it built up, primed, and I will start painting. How does the size time. on that thing compare to the size of, let's say, um, I don't know, a traditional Dreadnought? It's bigger than a traditional Dreadnought. Um, it's closer to a Dorado, okay. but with just big armor plates on the shoulders. All That's right, pretty cool. much the difference. And the Dorado is about a hand and a half taller than the regular Dreadnought. Because yeah. we, we built a couple of those for the Blood Ravens project last um, last quarter. And they're they're big. Yeah. So this guy is just a bigger dreadnought. It's almost like you can kind of think of it like the true scale advocates out there. It's like these are like true scale dreadnoughts. Like I guess, I guess yeah. what they wanted the dreadnought to be versus what it is kind of thing. So they're kind of big brothers to the dreadnoughts. All right. Well, uh, we got plenty. Obviously, we're working on uh, plenty more to follow. We're going to take a quick break, and when we jump back in, we're going to jump back in with a new segment on our rotating segment, Battle Brothers, and uh, we will be right back after this word. If you're interested in advertising on War Council, let us know. We can be reached at warcouncil at whitemetalgames.com. Rates are extremely competitive, but there are limited slots available, so please contact us soon. Hey guys, welcome back. We're going to jump into our rotating segment for this week, and uh, we're going to start something new. We're going to call this segment Battle Brothers. Um, so this came about because um, as our studio has grown, we've began to look into partnership opportunities with other hobby businesses out there. I think uh, talking to Brandon last week, it really made me realize how isolated a lot of painters are. And mm-hmm. one of the nice things about the, the War Council podcast is it's allowed us to reach out to uh, people, new services, and, and just to really figure out we're not alone in the community. There's a lot of people out there all working hard. In fact, I had a, a Facebook conversation with Matt from Titan Train Studio this morning. Like, you know, I, th- I think that, you know, uh, my wife said, my wife calls it like, people, some people have a friend-shaped hole in their life <laughs> where you're looking for someone to reach out to and they yeah. just don't know you need it till you need it. Um, so one of the things that um, I would like to do in the near future is I want to partner with other businesses, other hobby services, other people that offer things. Um, for example, if you are a, uh, a distributor that sells magnets, we use magnets, like, partner with us. Let's put a banner on your page. Let's share a banner back on our page. Let's figure it out. Uh, If you uh, do, or if you're an independent artist and you want to have some projects highlighted, contact us. I'll be happy to do like a guest blog post for you. Try to get you some viewership. Try to to promote your service uh, on War Council. You can always sponsor through us. Um, We're always, you know, we're just looking for ways to kind of reach out to the community. Um, One of the things that I've been interested in recently because of the display boards, um, as you guys know, we've Recently had a few armies go out with the display boards. They're, um, they're heavy, they're big, yep. they're hard to ship. So one of the things I'd like to do is I'd like to um, do like a mini display board, like a mini mat almost, kind of like the fat mats they do at Frontline, but smaller. Um, so if you're a graphic artist and that's the kind of thing that you like to do and you'd like to reach out to us, we would love to speak with you. Um, what we're really looking for is artists that do um, kind of like, I guess you think about like real-time strategy game scenarios where they do like the map um, so we need artists yeah. to do something like that, some kind of good graphic artist for that. So if that's you and you'd like to reach out to us, please contact us at info at whitemetalgames.com. Uh, reach out to us. Let us see your portfolio. And if that's something that you can help us out with, we'd love to talk to you, get some, some ideas about what your work is like and how we can incorporate that. Uh, you really, uh, just anybody. I mean, we want, to, we want to partner with people that are like-minded and that uh, have things to share we want to build our business. If you want to build your business, maybe we can build them together. Um, so that's kind of what I'm looking to, to do. I mean, <laughs> I mean, like, look at you and me. Like, we have two very different commission painting services. We partner up, and I think that the sum is greater than the parts. You know what I mean? Oh, definitely. So, like, we throw each other work. That work helps you to elevate your service, helps me elevate my service. We've only seen good things come out of it so far. Um, so I, I'd like to do more of that. So if that's you and you're out there, uh, you know, I feel like Sally, Sally Struther is asking you for like $2 a day. But I'm not asking you for money. I'm just saying reach out to us. Info at whitemetalgames.com. Let us know what kind of service you provide. 
If it's something we can partner up on, great. Um, so we'd love to talk to you. Uh, okay, well, that's it for that. We're going to take a quick break, and when we get back in, we're going to be on the line with Reese from Frontline Gaming, uh, and we're going to be talking to them about all things Frontline Gaming, all things LVO. Uh, so we will be right back after this brief word. Need a model assembled or painted but no money to spare? White Metal Games is now offering trade-ins. Send us pictures of your old models, bits, boxes, even new kits. Make us an offer we can't refuse. Don't like negotiating and haggling? White Metal Games also offers consignment services. You can send us your old models, books, games to sell. We sell them through our eBay store and you pocket 55% of the sales price. You don't have to worry about eBay fees, PayPal fees, shipping fees. There's no crazy percentages, just easy money. Contact us at info at whitemetalgames.com today. Hey guys, welcome back. We're going to jump into tips on technique tonight, and tonight we're interviewing Reese Robbins of Frontline Gaming. Uh, Frontline Gaming, if you don't know about it, you should know about it. It's a huge operation operating on the western side of the continent. Um, all things wargaming kind of, I, I feel like, have a, yeah, I feel like Frontline it's kind of in everything that's tournament related. Like you can't talk Seems about a to tournament be. without knowing about <laughs> yeah. it. Um, so Reese, absolutely. Thank you for being on the show tonight. We're very excited to talk to you. Hey, thanks for having me guys. It's always a pleasure to, to speak with you and I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me as well. So um, Reese, why don't we talk a little bit about how frontline gaming got its start? Like what were the origins of it? And um, you know, how is that? How, how did you get first get started? I guess. Yeah. Uh, that's a question that we get, that we get asked from time to time. And, uh, it started out as a group of friends that were avid uh, hobbyists uh, and tournament goers. We were uh, a tournament team is called Team Zero Comp. You may have may have heard of it. I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah, and it was actually started uh, before I came around. My business partner Frankie and some other friends from the Northern California started the team. I moved up to the Bay uh, to start a different business venture, and we started hanging out together, playing together, and we ended up. Uh, deciding to, to host a tournament in the Bay Area because at the time there wasn't a competitive format tournament in Northern California and there was a big demand for it. Sure. And it, that event was called the Bay Area Open. And we worked really hard and we worked really well together as a team. The event was, was quite a success. And it really um, opened our eyes to the idea of, of kind of picking the ball up and running with it after the event. And from there, uh, there was a series of other events that led us to a position in life where opening up a game store was an option, and we decided to pull the trigger. And so the, the core group of guys that started the BAO started Frontline Gaming, and uh, that's, that's kind of how it, it, it began. It started out as just sharing a similar passion and, and, and love for the hobby and then just turning it into a business. Now, I'm not an active tournament goer, so I don't even know. Is the Bay Area Open still around, or did it – sounds like it kind of transitioned into LVO. We, the Bay Area Open is still around. It's going into year six, which okay. is exciting and also yeah. crazy. <laughs> um, tickets are up for sale now. If anybody wants to go, there's only 20-something tickets left. Wow. And, yeah, it's July 16th and 17th in nice. Mountain View, California, just south of San Francisco. It's a it's a super fun event, and it's it holds a special place in our heart because it's what started the whole thing for us. I mean, yeah, it's definitely still around. It's that's actually one of the biggest tournaments out there for 40k uh, championship style play. Sure, nice. Um, so I'm guessing that you know, obviously, it sounds like that was kind of the genesis of LVO. Would you say that LVO or Frontline Gaming? So I guess I'm still trying to sort of get the the how this all works. So there was Bay Area Open. Some of those guys, including you, started Frontline Gaming, and then you guys decided to do your own tournament, which is LVO. Is that correct? Yeah, so it's kind of hard to talk about Frontline Gaming without – We really, it's like five different businesses all right. under one it umbrella. Like <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have a full-service paint studio. We manufacture uh, gaming products. We uh, distribute. We sell wholesale to other gaming stores. We sell directly to retailers. We have a game store. We run events. Uh, we do a lot. Uh, we do a bunch of media, as I'm sure you guys know. So yeah, for sure. It's really it's a series of, of, of five different uh, business ventures all operating underneath the Frontline Gaming um, umbrella. And kind of the, the genesis of it is, is we did the BAO. We opened Frontline Gaming. 
And then we started doing mercenary work, running other tournaments for people all around the, all over the place, Arizona, um, all over California. And then we went to the uh, Throne of Skulls tournament, which was a games workshop. It was their last GT. It was in Las Vegas, and it was a it was so much fun. And then they being, just being that it was in Vegas, or being that it was a well known tournament at the time. But both. It was a really well run tournament. It was a really yeah. fun tournament. Cool. It was a very fun social event. It was in Las Vegas. They only did it one year. I would imagine because it cost so much money to do it. Sure. And uh, there was a, a, a void. There was nothing going on in Las Vegas. And we decided to kind of create the spiritual successor to that event and do it in the style that we'd been doing. Because at one point, we were running five GTs a year. You know, we were all over the place doing them, uh, you know, every other month. And so we took everything we learned and we started the Las Vegas, which has since become a, a really big event. And that's just, you know, that's just one part of the frontline gaming business. So it sounds like you guys got a lot of practical experience running GTs and then other people were able to take advantage of that experience by hiring you to run their own GTs. Yep. Um, so, I mean, I think mercenary is, is an aggressive word. Kind of, <laughs> kind of accurate, actually. Like It fits the uh, yeah, 40,000. Yeah. They're like tournament organizers for hire, like have tournament <laughs> format, we'll, we'll travel kind of thing. Yeah, it, so. it, it was. Like we had the system, we had all the uh, terrain, we had all the equipment. Sure. And we had uh, a good reputation. People knew if we threw an event, it was going to be well run. Yeah. So it was easy for us to plug ourselves into existing. Like we were at Kamikaze at the Las Vegas or the Los Angeles Convention Center. Uh, we went down to Kingdom Con in uh, San Diego, and we would just kind of plug our event into other people's events. Nice. Um, but what we learned as we were doing mercenary work, as we like to call it, uh, when you're not in control of the whole. Um, the whole event, sometimes things can happen that you can't, that you things that can happen that you may not agree with, that you, you're powerless to do anything about it. So sure. we, and that's not a, a slight or a put down on anybody we've worked with. We were always thankful for the opportunity, but we found that it, we decided just to go all in and, and, and run the things from top to bottom. So sure. we cut back on the amount of events we did and focused on just a few. And it was the right choice for us as a business. And, um, it allows you to deliver a product in the, in the form of the tournament that's more satisfactory to the client, more satisfactory to you as the provider. Um, you know, you, you obviously have developed a reputation for being very good at it. People, you know, are, these events are very well, well received, very hyped. So people look forward to them. So it's kind of a quality over quantity thing, really. Exactly. But we, we learned, we learned the ropes of the business by working with other people. So we're really thankful for those opportunities, but then it, it's pretty normal in any business venture that someone kind of gains the skill set and then they set off on their own. That's pretty normal pattern. Um, and that's the way it worked for us. And then simultaneously we were doing all the other things we were doing with the retail, uh, the store and all that fun stuff too. So you were kind of dipping your toes in different ventures, but it sounds like the, the tournament organizing was sort of your guys you know, what you what you liked it's what it sounds like you were the most passionate about is that how fat mats kind of got started that you were going to these gts there was a real inconsistency maybe with boards or, or that sort of thing and so you were looking for an outlet that would provide organizers with a very consistently reliable system for that is that kind of how they got started or was it more is it something else you hit the nail on the head i mean we were we were traveling around going to these these tournaments we were going to other people's gts and you see a beautiful army that people have spent years, in some cases, working on. You see beautiful terrain that, you know, passionate, inspired people have spent all this time building. And then they're playing the game on a piece of felt that's got, like, right. crumbs of Cheetos in it. And or there's a beer like, stain yeah, on it. Just tape that's been marked out or something. Yeah. Like, like here's your lines. It, yeah. it looked like crap. And then yeah. we were using – we would went and bought cloth from um, a fabric warehouse, and we sure. painted it. And it still looked crummy. You know, there's like frayed right. ends. It's uh, better than nothing, but still not amazing. Yeah. Exactly. And as soon as someone spills a drink on it, it looks just terrible. So we were, we saw that there was a need in the marketplace for a product like this. And so we des we devised a, uh, the Fat Mats. And actually, we partnered up with another company, Table War, who they had in the same time come up with the same idea. And instead of competing, we decided to cooperate. So we formed a joint venture with them. They had the manufacturing experience and we had the uh, sort of the system to plug it into, so to speak. And it's been a very, very good partnership and we're really happy with it. But that's how the Fat Mats came about is 
you know, it came from tournaments and we were like, God, there's gotta be something better. We can't haul around four by six pieces of plywood. It's just too heavy and too expensive and too hard to store it. And it just kind of dovetailed from there. And we saw that there's people out there who play in their apartment or they play in their garage and it'd be very convenient to just roll up a mat, put it, stick it in the closet or stick it under their bed. And, um, obviously the, there was a demand out there for it because, um, you, you see them all over the place now, which is really, really neat to have an idea something that was just an idea. Now it's a real thing that's making people happy all around the world. It's pretty cool. I remember when, when I first saw it come to market, I thought, you know, it's one of those things where you see a good idea and you're like, why didn't anyone think of that before? Totally. <laughs> Cause I had seen mats, I'd seen vinyl mats, which were inconsistent and I'd seen all sorts of different solutions. And obviously there's something to be said for hand carved mats. But um, the nice thing about these mats is, is that because they're flat, you can put any sort of modular terrain piece on them. You're not having to mm-hmm. sort of inconsistently figure out where to put stuff. Um, so it's really open-ended. But on top of that, you've got this beautiful design. It's water-resistant. It doesn't slide around on your table. It's consistently sized immediately. There's no measuring out any of that. Yeah, crap. the fact that you have, like, zones or your right. deployment zones are marked right. out, even for different, like, hammer and anvil versus... So you and... saw a hole in the market. You guys found a good way to do it. You had the consistency with the community. You knew the people. You knew how to get it to market. Table Board EDU had the manufacturing experience. It sounds like the perfect marriage. And clearly, like, even out here on the East Coast, we see these mats in every gaming store we go to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So they, they clearly, they reached their market in a big way. Yeah, thank you for the kind words. And it's it, like you said, it was one of those things that as soon as we put it on the table, we were like, I can't believe this hasn't already been done because it just yeah. – it just sure. makes sense. And like you said, they're flat. You know, models don't fall over. You, right. When you roll your dice, it's not loud. Right. Uh, the models okay. slide across it. If they fall over, they're not going to get chipped. It's, exactly. Yeah. It, it, it was it was a, a, the right product at the right time, and we were really happy that it worked out. So Nice. Uh, so I'm curious. We were uh, – we've been – just kind of go back to the tournaments and everything. Um, so how – how does the ITC format work? Like from my understanding, is it sort of like a ranking system or is it more involved in that? that... Yeah, that's, that's a good question. The, the ITC is, what does uh, ITC stand for again? Like I'm not even familiar with that. Yeah, no, no worries. Um, it's the independent tournament circuit. Okay. And what the, the name kind of says it all. Uh, it's a coalition of independent TOs all around the world now that's, organize and run events and they can come together to help promote each other's events to help try and get people to travel out to go to other events to engage the community more to to expand their gaming horizons uh, to become a part of the international uh, gaming community and it's also a ranking system which it is a lot of fun it makes the games a little bit more exciting uh, and it's fun to see how you rank up as you know i'm the best Sisters of Battle player in the southwest of the United States. That's fun. It's uh, a neat little feather you can put in your cap. Right. People like to hang their hat on that. Yeah. And one of the visions for the ITC, the the mission statement, so to speak, is to make it easier for people to run organized events because 7th edition 40K is is a madhouse. It's absolutely nuts. It's a sandbox. (laughs) You can do anything. And it's overwhelming. It's daunting for a TO that's not doing it full time like we do to look into this and go, how do I answer the infinite number of rules questions? How do we format our event? How do we uh, tell people to structure their, their army? So we basically provided a tool set for free that said, Hey, do you want to run an event? Because running events is very good to maintain the health of the hobby, to grow the hobby, to keep people playing and interested. So what we did is we created the ITC, which is a tool set. And we said, here, Use any of it, change any of it, do whatever you want. Uh, but we answer, we do 99% of the legwork that you have to do to run a league, to run a tournament, to do all that stuff. And we put it out there for free for the community. And it's been really, really well received. Uh, there's always controversy, of course, when people don't agree with a certain decision. But by and large, it's really helped to bring the overall um, organized play community together to give them a, a baseline from which to build their event. Uh, we, you know, we have an FAQ, we have army building guidelines, uh, we have tournament format, we have missions, we have, we're coming out with an app that will let you run a tournament on your Apple device and then automatically submit the scores 
so that the players' uh, results get updated in real time. There's a lot of really fun stuff that we're coming out with to help people to organize their local community and keep their community strong. Um, and then eventually to go out and to go to a big event like the Las Vegas Open or Adepticon or Nova Open or WarGamesCon, because that's, for us, that's the most fun part of it is to interact with the, the, the community at large. And we're trying to incentivize people to do that and simultaneously make it less risky for people to run those big events because it is a big financial risk. Sure. And if they feel that there's a higher percentage chance that more people will come to their event, it makes it less of a risk. Well, on top of that, if people are attending these sort of ITC sanctioned events or ITT participant ITC participant events, then there's a there's a I would say a consistency. Like yeah. if I know that there's a ruling like this on the table for one model, then I, I if I go to another tournament where the ITC rules are being used, I know that that's how that will probably be judged. So you know, with variations here and there, maybe, but. Uh, with these players who go around, we were kind of joking earlier that they're almost like uh, you're kind of like race car drivers. They go to these different cities, they stay in hotels, they have to eat out all the time. There's a lot of cost. There's 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 price with all that. They have to prep their armies. They have to get that all ready. So with them putting that much work and that much time into their tournament playing experience, I think that asking you know them to have a reliable play experience is is great. Like that way they know that what they're getting is what they're getting. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, uh, standardization is yeah, exactly. is really good because like you said, if you're investing all this time into building, painting and building an army and then uh, the travel expense, taking time away from your family or your job, it's a, it's a big investment. And if you can come closer to a standardized system, it makes it easier for people to get out there and engage the larger community as we were talking about earlier uh, and to know where they're going to go. Like you had mentioned, if there's a, a contentious ruling or there's there's a... Uh, one of the very, very many rules in Games Workshop's games that don't that can be read in more than one way, even if you don't agree with it, it's better to have a standardized answer, right, so that you can plan on it. And when you go to an event, you know what to expect. Um, it, so it, I know that this seems to be mostly, I mean, obviously you're a very avid 40K player, and I think that all of these rules kind of pertain to that, but have you guys sort of come up with different formats of, of this variant for, like, let's say, your Press formats or... Uh, Mantic Games, uh, what they call Kings of War, mm -hmm. like those kind of formats, or does the ITC have any kind of variants here, or maybe even variants of 40K, like Planet Strike or Cities of Death or officially sanctioned apocalypse events or stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, the, the goal with ITC is to build the infrastructure to kind of get the system streamlined. Sure. And uh, once we have the, the basic framework in place, we can start plugging other game systems into it that want to participate. Sure. Uh, we would love we would love to do that. Um, we do have plans to diversify within the 40k family. Um, we're working right now on a way to include narrative gaming into the ITC with like a, a different track. Uh, we have some really exciting ideas we've been talking about with some very passionate narrative gamers to do like global campaigns where you're fighting with your everyone that's on your faction and it's less about individual competition and more about faction cooperation. And we really want to emphasize like people that go above and beyond to create like custom tables or they have a really fun narrative track going centered around their characters and to focus on that and the cooperative narrative experience between players because that really speaks to some people that are less into the one-on-one -on -one sweat dripping off the end of your nose competition, but they do want to participate in the bigger community. So we're trying to address that um, and we're hoping to roll that out by the summertime. I think that's going to be really cool. So what about other aspects of the tournament circuit that are not necessarily directly related to competition, for example? Like, will you, you know, do you guys do any kind of, like, ICTC official, like, painting competition or, like, um, I don't know, like, um, uh, display competition when they, when they display their army or, like, that kind of stuff. Stuff that's indirectly related to the win, but certainly, you know, rewards the hobbyists for spending a lot of time on their projects. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like you can't, you can't have one without the other, right? Like some players gravitate towards either end of the spectrum. Like they're more hobbyist they're more uh, a player of the game. But I think most of us are kind of right in the middle. Like I'm an avid hobbyist and I love tournament play. Um, we do definitely want to recognize all aspects of it. Um, but like I said, currently we've, it's been a pretty Herculean task just to, <laughs> To get the infrastructure in place, just to do the yeah. what we're doing now. It sounds now. like it's still absolutely. You guys are kind of building the base of, of the, the, the yeah. city, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, we're in year three, and it's yeah. still like it's just getting like 
I'm not the most technical savvy guy. Like I've learned a ton, but like setting up the databases and like having the means for people to submit their scores and to make sure that the data is not being corrupted or you know, input incorrectly and then displaying it, making it easy for people to see it. You know, that's been acquiring an entirely new skill set, uh, And I, I not been doing it on my own. I have a tremendous amount of help from the community, which I'm very thankful for. So once we get that framework in place, we then we can start getting really creative and doing different things with it. You know, um, I know that for me, because you mentioned this, that I think a lot of people are kind of in the middle about whether they're avid hobbyists or avid tournament players. And um, I don't attend a lot of tournaments. I just, for me, I don't have the time. But I, I think that there seems to be, at least in the community, uh, this kind of divide, which I think is artificial and probably not as big as people think it is, between tournament players and hobbyists. There there seems to be kind of a stigma almost or, uh, 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 you know, around these two different groups of people. Some people are active hobbyists that play sometimes. Some people are active players that some of them don't even build or paint their own armies. They hire other people to do it, like us. Uh, so there seems to be this divide between them. Do you think that there's some room in between there where tournament players could learn something from hobbyists and vice versa? And if so, have you seen some of those lessons come about? Like, what do you think these two groups of people could learn from each other? Yeah, I mean, there's always been that divide in this community, which I think is so silly because it's such a small community anyway. Sure. Trying to like subdivide ourselves and create barriers instead of uh, bridges is really silly. Um, there's really no reason for it. I think it's I think it's exaggerated on the internet as most things are. Sure. Uh, I think most people are both and enjoy both, but then people go online and then the combination of anonymity and a public platform, they tend to you know, act shitty to be blunt, yeah, but no, I would agree. <laughs> yeah. yeah in the, but in the reality of the hobby shop or at an event, it's not, it's not like that at all. Yeah. You know, the tournament player can walk up to the, to the, hobbyist army and be wowed by the effort and energy they put into it and appreciate it and love it. And then the, the hobbyist can be wowed by someone who, who goes undefeated to win a tournament and be like, wow, that's really cool. It doesn't speak to me. doesn't resonate with me. Like, I don't want to go do that per se, but I can appreciate the effort and energy you put into that. And when people inter interact with each other uh, on the human level and face to face, you don't get any of this, this crappy caddy behavior that you see online. So I mostly ignore it online now. I don't really waste my time looking at it because it doesn't represent the people that we interact with. Um, and every now and then you do see, even at the local level, like in the hobby shop where people will divide themselves like, Oh, I don't like those tournament gamers. I don't like the way they play or, you know, vice versa. I don't like the person who's just put so much emphasis on um, you know, narrative or fluffy gaming that I feel like it, it's not fun anymore. Um, really, you just have to show respect to one another and empathize with the fact that people can play the game in different ways, and that's totally cool. Um, it, Definitely. I mean, yeah. I think that the reality is it started, like when I was a kid and I started playing these kind of games, that they were a game at first, and then people developed the, the and I guess to use Games Workshop as an example, back then they had the Ard Boys tournament, and the whole yeah. purpose of it was, like, look, the game is normally meant to be a beer and pretzel style game, but people want to play, they want to compete, like, just to, you know, to put the nail on the head, like, I, I'm pretty geeky. Like, so, like most typical geeks, I'm white, a little fat. Like, I'm not very healthy. Like, I don't get enough exercise. So, because of that, like, I was the guy that was picked last on sports teams. I'm that guy. So, a lot of these kids are looking for ways to compete. They want that competitive spirit, but they're not, you know, necessarily athletic. So, this is a natural, they, they were looking for a way to compete. And all the tournament circuit did was give them an outlet for that. But yeah. it's, it's normal to expect that they're going to want to have concise, standardized rules as you put them. Um, so I think that what you guys are facilitating there is great. And like you said, like when these people get together, you're not going to be shitty in person. Like, you know, if you go out to the tournament, it's a social environment. You're going to meet people. I have never left a tournament without being a little, a little drunk. Usually there's a guy passing around a bottle of something there. Yep. And uh, there's lots of good food, and you guys swap stories. It's, it's really like – it's just a really cool get-together. Um, yeah, the, the camaraderie is the best yeah. part. The friendship, the connection with other human beings is the best sure. part. That's why I don't really play video games anymore. Is even though I, I, I love them, I would rather spend my, my gaming time with a friend sharing a beer, telling a joke, like you said. Like, that's, that's what it's about. Like, that's the, the magic of, of tabletop gaming, and that's why we love it so much. And at the tournament, at a tournament experience or at a convention, it's that, that sense of like togetherness and we all like the same thing. We may be very different people, but 
you know, this weekend we're buddies. And then you see them right. uh, a couple times a year, maybe once a year at the same events. And it's really cool because over the time you, you develop these really strong friendships, even though you don't see these people very often. Sure. And that, that's what, that's really the best part of it. Yeah. I mean, the community, we were just talking about this at the start of the show is the community is, it, it can feel very isolated to be a hobbyist. Like we talked to Brandon at GMM last week and, yeah. and he was commenting that basically other than going to a few events like Adepticon, he really doesn't interact much yeah. with other people. And the community I think is, is bigger than that. You can reach out to people. And that's, I think that's one of the things that frontline gaming is really, I think has done really well is that you guys are a part of an active community and you grow the community. You don't isolate people. You're kind of encouraging them to come out, be a part of this, be part of the group. Like don't sit in your dark room alone playing fucking magic or whatever it is you fucking play. Yeah. Like come out yeah. and hang out, like be a friend. Yeah. Come, come out. And, and it's just like, like the perfect example. Yeah. I've been, I've been a writer, a staff writer for Bill of Lost Souls for I don't know, seven years or something sure. like that. And everyone knows that the, the comment section of that block can just be a cesspool of negativity. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, I always am just like you guys, like you have all these preconceived notions and judgments. Just come out, like right. come out and have a beer with somebody and shake their hand and then realize that all these preconceived notions are based on <laughs> assumptions right. and, and half truths. And then you'll see that even though someone may have a like a different perspective than you do, you can be friends and enjoy the hobby together Instead of, you know, sitting in here and, like, stewing in your negativity, which... And then you can go home and shit-talk them online, just like normal. Like, but yeah. If, but yeah. for those few hours you're there, like, you can see that that's probably not, the, not, not true. You know, these guys are... They're just guys. They're just normal people. Yeah, they're not monsters that are out right. to, like, take away your fun. They just enjoy it in a different <laughs> way than you do, and that's think, totally fine. There's I nothing people, wrong with it. I think people have this misconception that every player is a win-at-all-cost player, and that's just not true. But someone has to win those tournaments, and generally those people that win in fact the last couple of years i've looked at the lists and i've been consistently impressed with just like well just good players like, yeah sometimes the lists are like look this is not this is not a leaf blower this is just like this is a good well-organized list run by a well-organized player who who knows what he's doing like i shouldn't feel shitty if i lose to that i should well if i should it should be for me like not because he's not doing a good job he's doing a good job yeah, I mean, the the championship game at the Las Vegas Open last year was a Scout Army versus a Lictor Tyranid Army. It was right. like, I was going to say, the Lictor Tyranid Army blew me away. And I was yeah. just like, this is amazing. Like, someone really thought outside the box here. Um, yeah, and then it, both guys were smiling and laughing and having a good time. And, right. and, and you know, there is, you do have friction at the table sometimes. And sometimes you do have that TFG, but it's the exception to the rule. It's not normal. Like, more often than not, it's a pleasant, fun experience. So um, just to kind of drill down for a second, um, I, I recently had an experience with a client where they requested some models that were custom custom assembled because Games Workshop is no longer, um, some of their products are kind of out of stock in their store. They're not selling them anymore. So for tournament players, they have to like look for an outlet to provide custom models. So we did that for him and we provided some custom models for this particular client. But then the tournament organizer that he was trying to get in with uh, had a pretty tight policy on what kind of proxies could be allowed. So could you talk to that at all? Like as to how, you know, what should tournament organizers be on the lookout for? Um, I, I get from a tournament organizer point of view, when you go to an event, you want to have a model sitting across the table from you that is easy to recognize so that you can compete fairly. But some of these models are out of production and they're still being allowed at tournaments. So there has to be a middle ground in my opinion. So what would you say to the players and the tournament organizers in that scenario? How do they kind of settle that? Yeah, that's a really difficult question because so much of what we do is artistic and it's rooted in being creative and expressing your, your, um, your, your creativity and modeling and, and hobbying. And then someone comes up with a really cool theme and they want to have an army where everything is something different. Sure. Um, and at the end of the day, for us, our policy on it, because we, we like that. Like, I think that's cool. Like, I really, I love to see how creative and and um, uh, awesome these creations can come out of these, our, our fellow gamers' minds. So for us, it's pretty much the rule of cool. Uh, you can do anything you want as long as you do it well. And uh, that's kind of the guidelines that we use. It's a little fuzzy, but... Um, so it's kind of a case-by-case -case situation. It, it really is, right? Like, there's a fine line between someone who's just being cheap and lazy and someone who's inspired and in doing something that's just really cool. Right. And it's like a gift to everybody else that gets to see it. 
That's a really uh, good way to describe because I don't want what you don't want, and I think that in the same way that some players get bad rep uh, online, what you one or two people will bring a soda can to a tournament and say, "This is my tank," and right. obviously that creates the stigma that all players must do that. Whereas the reality is, like on this particular client, we kit bashed. I don't know, four or five different bits from different kits together to make this one unique model that was very uniform looking and it was easily spottable, easily recognizable, I felt like. So even though the tournaments, the tournament organizer in this case, his gut reaction was to say, no, we don't allow that. It was very much like a, a hands-down wash, kind of like, well, we just never allow it that way. We don't have to deal with it, which was, in, in my opinion, very frustrating because as a business owner, I want to provide my clients with a unique product but from a tournament organizer standpoint, consistency kind of rules. Um, so it's a, it's a tight line to walk, I think. Yeah, that sounds like it's a little bit of a harsh uh, ruling. Trying it's to be worth, critical. It's worth noting that the TO in this case like came around to our way of thinking. Uh, but it, you know, it took some it took some you know some chatting, I think. Right, right, and it's everyone's different. Everyone's barometer is different. Everyone's community is different, but. In general terms, like when something's done well, it's it's accepted, right? It's just it's one that, like you said, if someone's got a beer can, oh, this is a drop hide. Oh, no, it's right. not. Or someone's got, we had a guy that had a he had a pipe fitting on a base, and he goes, that's a, a mortar or something. And we're like, no, it's or a thunderfire can. <laughs> I was like, get that out of here. That is garbage. That's but when funny. when someone <laughs> converts like, up like a, a, a just a scrap piece of PVC, yeah, yeah it looks exactly. like he glues like he glues an aspects to it, and he was like, I'm done. Like, yeah. <laughs> But then a perfect example is one of our staff members is making uh, – he, he's an ultramarine fanatic. Everything he does is ultramarines. But he's putting in some Eldar models into to his army, and he's like, oh, I'm going to make uh, space marines that are going to be war spiders. And I was like – I raised my eyebrows. I was like, okay, this is this is going to be a stretch. But then he brought them in, and they as soon as he tells you what they are, you totally get it, and they look cool. It's well executed, and I don't think anyone will have a problem with it. Okay. So it's just it just depends. Like if you're going to do it, if you do it well – People are going to be like thumbs up if it's obviously you're just cutting corners. People are going to be thumbs down. So so check with your TO. But the bottom line should probably be that if you're doing it and you're committing time and effort to it, hopefully, generally speaking, they should be open minded. I would think. Yeah, yeah. And when in doubt, just send a picture to your TO. There you uh, go. You know that, that then there's no ambiguity. There's no surprises. Uh, that's the way to do it. Makes sense. Well, hey. Um... Reese, what are we're curious to kind of what are some of the uh, plans you guys have for Frontline Gaming? Um, I know I've recently had saw that you guys are like starting to make your own terrain pieces, um, but like, could you share with us maybe some of the plans and vision you guys have for the future of Frontline Gaming? Yeah, we we we're always thinking, uh, you know, ten steps ahead, and we always have a lot of plans going on. But uh, the ITC Terrain Series is a, one of our pro- projects we're focused on right now, as you had noted. Uh, we're making terrain that matches the mats, um, and it's been really popular. It's very affordable. It's easy to assemble. It's easy to paint, and it's been specifically designed to work with organized play, uh, whereas a lot of terrain is form over function. Ours is function over form. Uh, not to say that it doesn't look good. It does, but we made it so that it's very easy to interact with, to get your models in and out. Uh, it's durable. So that's been really well received, and we're currently expanding that. We just came out with the ITC shield generator. Uh, could be nice. substituted in for a void shield generator if you are so inclined. And we've got, <laughs> we've got a series of terrain that we just made for our urban mats, and we're working on a whole new set of terrain for some of our other mats. It's going to be – it's really cool. We're really, really happy with the end result. Uh, and then we're also working on getting that out into – into game stores so people can pick it up at their local game shop or they can buy it off of our web cart if they wanted to. Very cool. So is this like, and I haven't really, I haven't really looked at this. Is this like laser cut MDF kind of terrain or is this more like yeah, modular, like plastic vacuum form terrain or. Yeah, it's it at present. It's laser cut MDF. We also use acrylic. Um, if you guys want, I can uh, send you a couple pieces if you want to do a review for your podcast. Oh, yeah. we'd love to. Yeah. yeah. Sure. And you guys can take it could take a look at it, see if it's uh, something that interests you, or you could just share it with your community. Yeah, um, we would, we, we're always looking for that kind of stuff, obviously, and uh, mm-hmm. we would be happy to talk about it for sure. Yeah, well, off, off air, we'll definitely get the details sorted out. But um, basically, there are whole sets of terrain that are themed for a mat. So you could basically just get an entire set that goes exactly with the mat that you're playing on, and it looks great, it fits, 
you know, like we were talking about the, the regions of the map that are sectioned off. It fits within those. It's designed for it. Uh, it will be a lot of fun. And it make it easy for somebody uh, to just get basically, you know, a turnkey uh, solution to get their table set up. And it's very easy. Or if you're a tournament organizer and you need to get 20 tables, here you go. It's yeah, affordable. It's easy awesome. uh, to do. And it, it saves you time. I mean, I think that's great because whenever the few tournaments I go to over time, the longer these tournaments are around, I mean, just to be honest, normally the terrain is stored in somebody's shed. Yeah. Put in plastic yeah. bags. It's getting banged around. It's There's usually a table where someone is rapidly trying to repair it. Like, uh, so th- this kind of fills that gap that, you, like you said, with the fat mats, like there was a hole, you guys plugged it. Now you saw another hole. Here's another way to plug it. Like, it's great. You're looking for, you're looking for areas where the community needs something rather than shoving a product down their throat that they don't actually want. Yeah, we try to be reactive and, and well, proactive, but look for for a, a, a niche in the marketplace to fill. And with this, it's like, hey, here, here's everything you need to run a tournament, literally everything, the rules, guidelines, FAQs, missions, terrain, mats. Like you could literally come to us and get everything you need to organize your local community. That's and then awesome. if you want it, and then of course, then you could take it and then customize it to suit the, the des- desires of your local community if you want to do that too. And then you could still be a part of a bigger, a bigger, uh, organized play community and participate in that while still doing your own thing. So it's that, that's the, you know, the grand vision, so to speak. Very cool. Makes sense. <laughs> well, Reese, you've been very generous with your time today. I mean, it's really been cool to get an inside look at how frontline gaming works, how the LVO works and how those two things um, have kind of grown out of each other, obviously. And, um, with everything you guys have coming up, we're really excited to see what what is coming up down the pipe for frontline gaming, what kind of events you guys are going to be sponsoring. And we can't wait to see more. Thank you so much guys. Yeah. And we've been a fan of everything you guys are doing and we look forward to working with you more. And we've had some really good ideas that you've come up with and we're really interested in exploring that. I think you guys have some good things going on. Oh, great, man. We appreciate it. Well, uh, we're going to take a brief break. We'll be jumping back in right after this. Let's be honest. You'd rather be playing than painting. Let White Metal Games take the hassle out of painting and assembling your miniatures. We have a team of dedicated professionals who will make sure your miniatures stand out on the tabletop. Contact us at info at whitemetalgames.com. White Metal Games. Put your minis where your mouth is. Hey guys, we're going to jump into our one minute rant or gush for this week. Um, So I'm going to kick things off this week. I'm feeling a little ranty for once. That's always a nice change. Um, so this week I'm going to rant a little bit about um, tournament organizers, not to say anything bad about Reese uh, or, or any tournament organizer, really. Um, but my, my, my concern is with the conversion policy at a lot of different places. So let me explain. Um, a lot of The whole point of a tournament, basically, at the end of the day, is so that people can play in an environment that's fair and uh, where they can all kind of equally understand the rules and the models you're playing against. For example, if I was playing chess, I know what a queen does. I look at the mm-hmm. queen, I understand what the queen does. If I'm playing in a space marine, if I'm playing in a tournament for 40k, I look across the board and I see a uh, space marine tank, I know what that tank does for the most part. The problem is is that GW doesn't always put out models or the companies go out of business or that they stop selling a certain product, but the rules for those models still exist. So the likely solution is you have to come up with an alternate proxy piece, a stand-in piece. Um, I think that instead of sitting there and like, you know, ordering a whole bunch of stuff off of eBay, you should be able to proxy models. You should be able to kit bash models and tournament organizers. So, you know, tournament organizers, just loosen up a little bit, guys. Like the reality is, it's a game. It's a made-up game and a made-up world. It doesn't really, it doesn't have a huge impact on life. So if I, I think there's a good rule, which is your opponent needs to be able to understand what the model is. That's a right, fair understanding. If I look at across the table and there's a vehicle, like this Mad Max army we just did, for example, like we're going to create like a chart or something so you can hand it out to his opponents so you can be like, these are trucks, these are our custom battle wagons. But I think for the most part, it's a great looking army. So mm-hmm. if you want to play against that army, you have to be willing to like, you know, kind of make some concessions. You have to be like, all right, look, this isn't my standard blase fair truck. This isn't my standard cut and dry wagon. So just be open-minded about it if, if you can. Like, tri- I, that's what I would like to have happen. I would like for there to be more exhibition-style games with crazier, kookier models, cooler armies. Um, 
you know, but I get it. In a, in a tournament, in a competitive environment, you need, you know, you know, standards, I guess. But maybe loosen up a little bit. That's what I would like to see. Let's have some fun. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Because, you know, on top of everything else, like, it kind of hurts our business. Like, I want people to come to us for conversions more. Mm-hmm. And if tournament organizers were more flexible, we could do more crazy conversions. Like the Warp Spiders we recently did for Pablo uh, from Frontline Gaming. Like, he had to get those approved by his TO to make sure that those would even be viable, despite the fact that GW no longer manufactures them. So, come on, man. Like, you know, give us a little, give us a little rope. You know, are they really not manufacturing warp spiders? No, anymore? not currently. Like they're not sold normal. out, or they're just. I, I don't. I mean, I obviously I don't know. I don't work at GW, but I know you can't go on the website and order them. Really? For example, like uh, some models sometimes sell out. Like I have a client right now that has a Lord Croak commission with us. Yeah. You can't get that through the, the site anymore, uh, and it hasn't been back up for like a month. So I have mm. to assume they're not going to manufacture. They're going to retire that kit. Um, so I had to source it on eBay um, at high cost, I'll even point out. I had to order it from Canada, of all places. Hmm. It was the first one I could find that was reasonably priced. Um, so it's harder and harder to kind of continue with, with those sorts of commissions when the models aren't being manufactured. Yeah. I'm surprised so, with War Spiders, too. That's like the new tournament like standard now. People just it spam. is. <laughs> but people are, are spamming a model that's been out of production for a long time. Like, the actual model was developed in the 90s, and they haven't updated that, that kit since then. Yeah. It's always been the same. Like, they recast it in fine cast, but it's still the same old model. It's pretty boring, frankly. Like, it's just not a very dynamically posed model, which is why I really liked the conversions we did for Pablo. Like, I thought they yeah. were just like, this is fun and original and different, and it kind of looks like a warp spider. It reminds me of a Space Marine version of a warp spider. So, anyway, that's it for me. Do you have any rants or gushes? I am cleaned out. <laughs> <laughs> I did, um, they did, I was reading Bell of Souls today, and they did have all the uh, new rumors and stuff for the new Space Marine stuff, yeah. so a lot of it looks a little ridiculous. Um, from a gaming perspective, I know we don't talk too much about that stuff, but it was, uh, some of the rules were pretty ridiculous. So some formations, new psychic powers. I think you have to take all that with a grain of salt, Mm -hmm. but I do like formations, but I do think some of them like, um, you know, when you get shit for free, when you get tanks for free, when you get vehicles for free and the war convocation for Adeptus Mechanicus where you get like every upgrade you want for free. Wow. Yeah, that's hundreds right. And hundreds of that. points for free. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, that's pretty ridiculous. Um, yeah, so I can see your point there. Makes sense. I mean, don't get me wrong, like I like changing the game up. I think people should change the game up as much as they can, obviously. Uh, but you know, I, I don't <laughs> I would be intimidated, like that army that the Angels of Retribution, for example. All of those Razorbacks, all ten of them, as far as I know, were for free. He didn't have to pay for any of those, points-wise. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was, it was an 1850-point army with 10 tanks in it that he didn't pay a dime for. Not in terms of money. He paid us for them. Right. But, like, in terms <laughs> of points, like, he didn't... Uh, how many points is a Razorback apiece? 40 points, maybe? I think something around there. So that's... Well, times 10, that's 400 points. Yeah. So in a 2,000-point list, that's 20% of your list. That's, like, 20% for nothing. That's... That's it's a little bit ridiculous. Yeah, that's pretty ridiculous. Especially when no one else can compete with that. Right. You got people like Dark Eldar, people playing Chaos Space Marines that don't get that. They're the same right. basic troops, but, I mean, they're I Marines. Mean, it, it's hard for me to continue to defend companies like GW all the time when those kind of things come about. Mm. Because it's like, how can that not be a, a, a push for them to sell models? How can it not be? Yeah. It has to be, right? I mean, they're like, look, we got a bunch of tanks to move, guys. Like, let's give them to them for free and points. And yeah, and that's sort of, like, the mentality around some of these, like, video game companies that do, like, uh, I know with MMOs, they do a lot of these, like, it's free to play, but in reality, you have to pay to win sure. because you're having to buy all, like, the special things for that yeah, money. I hadn't thought about that, but that is kind of what it is, like, free to play, pay to win. That's Except that you're pay to play and then pay to win. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's capitalizing on top of something already. All right. Well, I think we've ranted or well, we didn't we didn't crush at all. We ranted enough. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we jump back in, we will be in our outro. We will be out of here, and we will be right back after this. Are you a tabletop quality painter in the Raleigh area with ten hours or more a week to spare? Have you ever thought about becoming a commission painter before, but you weren't sure it was right for you? White Metal Games is looking for talented painters in the Raleigh area to join our studio team. You're paid by the job, not by the hour, so you can paint at your own pace. Send us pictures of your painted models to info at whitemetalgames.com, and we just might be interested in speaking with you. 
put your minis where your mouth is. All right, guys, welcome back. Uh, that leaks leads leaks leads us into our outro. We are out of here this week. Um, we thank uh, Reese Robbins for uh, all of his interesting information about frontline gaming. I was nice to sort of get an inside scoop of how all that stuff works. Uh, next time on the show, we're going to be talking with Bo of Army Painter. I think that's our that's the goal at least. We've been talking to um, I think he's one of the either product managers or one of the, the owners over there, but we've been speaking with him briefly. So we're going to be finally speaking with a paint manufacturer about paint and how that all works. Like we're going to kind of get an inside cool. scoop on that. And uh, I know that, you know, for you, uh, you, you're not, you don't use a lot of army painter product if, if, if any, a little bit, a little bit, but I'm a, I am a huge fan of their product. Mm-hmm. Like I love their soft tone washes. I love their, all of their, their, their washes are great. They're, um, the, I just like the pigments. I like the opacity. I like the consistency of the paint. I like the dropper bottles. In fact, the dropper bottles never clog for me, and the reaper yeah. bottles always clog for me. So um, I'm just a really big fan of Army Painter and all they do, and I'm very excited to speak with them on the show. But that will be next time. Um, if you are interested in being on our show, um, reach out to us at War Council at whitemetalgames.com. You can find out more about War Council online. We are hosted on our website, White Metal Games. WhiteMetalGames.com, click under Podcasts, and you'll see all of our 25, now 26 episodes. Uh, we recommend you starting back around episode 11. That was when Philip joined us, and it was kind of when we reformatted the show. Uh, and I think about that. That means we've had like 15 shows like, yeah. together. That's pretty good. Not bad. It's a good start. Like, I haven't like bored of you yet. You haven't bored of <laughs> me yet. Like, it's pretty good. Um, so we're going to hopefully be speaking with him on the show next, and then... Um, We've got more fun stuff down the pike, and uh, in April, we're going to be interviewing um, Jamie Sawyer. He was a previous guest commission artist with White Metal. He did some some work for us, and now he's an author, and uh, we're going to be talking to him about his latest series of books, The Lazarus War. Uh, so look forward to that. Um, until then, though, my name is Caleb Dillon with White Metal Games. And I'm Phil Corman with Brushwork Minis. And until next time, put your minis where your mouth is. Thank you.